episode, today's guest is my coworker, colleague, QBrat, Cameron, who's also great at understanding crypto and what it really is. And people like me can be done pretending that they actually know what crypto is and understanding all the intricacies. And when people say stuff about crypto, pretending like they know what's going on because I most certainly do not know what's going on. Welcome, Cameron. All right, thank you. Um, so we're going to get into our first few kind of questions here. And I think the largest question is just like, what is cryptocurrency? Yeah, so that is a pretty loaded question. Um, it started out kind of just with Bitcoin. That was the very first cryptocurrency. Uh, and it's kind of developed into so much more. And um, it's still kind of up and coming. People are trying to find where it has good applications. Um, but at the most basic, it's uh, it could be a digital currency. Um, and there's a lot of potentially exciting um, solutions that can provide for others. So digitizing currency, when I think of digital currency, I just think of my current currency. Like the last time I saw a dollar bill was probably two weeks ago. Like that's digital currency to me. So what's the difference between like the numbers in my bank account and cryptocurrency? Like my cryptocurrency can't be kept in a bank. Yeah. So uh, an unknown figure uh, who went by the name Satoshi, originally decided to create Bitcoin. And one of the things he really wanted to do was uh, make it a digital currency that wasn't reliant on any organization. Uh, and he also felt that a currency should be non-inflationary. So as I'm sure you, <laughs> you've been feeling lately, the U.S. government uh, and the Treasury Inflation can the just... US? Yeah, no? They just... Ooh print money if they want to. And so one Bitcoin will always be one Bitcoin and it will be a certain percentage of the total. Uh, and so you're not gonna be losing value to inflation that way. So then when you're, there's a set amount of Bitcoin and you harvest it or how do you, you mine it, right? So you're mining the Bitcoin and you know that there's only, I don't know, like X amount of Bitcoin coins. Is it coins or coin? Is it plural? It's plural, yeah. Okay. So there's only X amount of Bitcoins. And what happens when the mining like starts slowing down? Then what do you do? All the, all the Bitcoins have been mined. Um, it's programmatically defined in Bitcoin's code. Mm -hmm. There's a fixed emission curve. Uh, so it started out, none of the Bitcoins have been mined. Uh, and then it kind of rapidly increased at the very beginning. And then there's a slow tail to the emission curve. Um, and so gradually more and more are being released. And so when I say there's a fixed amount, there's a fixed total amount that there will ever be. Okay. And at a given time, there's a fixed amount. Um, but it does keep increasing. My understanding of mining is very, very small. It's very abysmal. I really don't understand the concept of it. So you're mining using a code looking for coins these coins just exist like it's not a fossil fuel you don't just pick at the ground and go, oh there's some oil that's not how that works like so this satoshi person developed this thing what if he just made them all easter eggs and like hid them in codes somewhere like what if satoshi what if they just put easter eggs everywhere and they actually run the currency have you ever thought about that yeah so um mining is 
um, probably pretty misconstrued just based off of the name alone. And by me, my explanation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so essentially what it is, is it is the way that the network is secured. Um, and what does that, what does that even mean? Yeah. Um, so essentially it works off of a blockchain. So every fixed period of time. Okay, wait. <laughs> so what is a blockchain? Yeah, that's what I'm going to okay, do. Okay, So Bitcoin. every fixed period of time, uh, there's a new block that's added, right? And so Bitcoin at its basic is just kind of a digital ledger. And it says this account has this amount of money, right? And if you want to send money, um, essentially everyone just has access to this public ledger. And they can see, oh... Account A wants to send 10 Bitcoin, but they only have five. So everyone can reject that transaction. The way it works is uh, the list of transactions that are occurring are included in something called the block, which is, uh, you can think of it um, as like a fixed size, like amount of transactions. Um, so mining is essentially, there needs to be a way to determine uh, how a block gets added. In order to do that, they do something called a proof of work algorithm. And essentially you make it, so that way, in order to add a block, you have to solve a very difficult problem, uh, which can just be done by a computer doing tons and tons of calculations. So inside the block, there's something called a nonce. A not? Nonce, N-O-N-C-E, oh, okay. which is just like a very big number. And you keep changing it until uh, once you run it through the program, uh, a hashing program. And I didn't want to get into the details, but um, so there's something. <laughs> so let me get this yeah. straight. So you have a blockchain which is essentially the transaction that's occurring or the, what allows for the transactions to occur. Yeah, so a blockchain, very literally, it's just, you can think of it as a, a chain, chain of blocks. blocks. Yeah. But that's what's allowing for the transaction. You have to have blockchains in order to mine, and in order to mine, you have to hash. Yeah, so okay. uh, hashing is kind of how they technically implemented it. It involves a bunch of different technologies, uh, like... Uh, asymmetric encryption is how you get the keys, which are so hashing what you is, have for your wallet. Hashing but, is the type of coding that allows you to mine that solves the difficult problems? No. Oh my <laughs> Sorry. god. Sorry, so essentially no. what happens is there's the first block, and then you get a hash of it, which is like a 256-bit uh, representation of the data. Okay. And so can't tell when you hash something what its hash will be. Um, so if you even change like one bit of the data, the entire hash will look completely different. Okay. Uh, and so essentially what happens is the first block's hash gets included in the second block and so on and so forth so and it forms a chain. chain. So you can okay. go backwards and verify that each block uh, is consistent. So it's like solving for X and then plugging X back in to make sure that X works going forward? Yeah, kind okay. of. Okay, you need the block, and then you have the hash on the block, and then that makes the chain that you're mining. Yeah, um, so the chain is just kind of adding more blocks. Simplest. Like, that's the simplest way that I can put it right. right? Yeah. Okay, cool. With the mining that occurs, you have these computers. So when you're mining, because like, you did mining, right? I did not. No. You did not? No. But what did you do for crypto then? I thought you mined. No. So mining, you um, probably want to buy like a graphics card because graphics mm -hmm. cards are very good at performing um, the same type of calculations that need to be done for mining. And then like essentially you're, you have to like invest in, you're paying the electricity bill, 
I just, I just yeah. bought the, the stuff. Bought, I didn't mine it. You bought the stuff. Yeah. So you bought, you invested yeah. in crypto? Okay. So how did you learn about all this stuff? About mining, about hashing, about blockchain? Like, did you just teach yourself and someone else teach you? Yeah, so I was just kind of looking around uh, and I had heard of it. And I was very interested by the technical aspect um, where you're able to have essentially a decentralized currency um, it doesn't rely on any one, um, any one entity. But what's the of that? Like, if no one's backing it, if no one is backing your currency, what is it worth? I'm so confused by that concept. That's fair. That's very fair. But the thing backing it is the people using it. So if everyone decided that it has no value, then it wouldn't. Um, people can clone the code of Bitcoin um, and make their own currency, and it would have no value. But people have kind of decided that, that Bitcoin is a good store of value and people call it kind of like a digital gold. And so uh, you could see situations where if a country collapses, the currency goes to zero. It's independent of like what country you're in, what um, currencies like you have available to you. You can just use it instead or store some of your money. In there. So with that definition that leads me to think that it's similar to diamonds and gold like that sort of thing like if the market was to crash in the united states and all of our money was to be worth zero dollars gold and diamonds are still worth something somewhere else and you're saying the same was true for bitcoin right? yeah that's how people view bitcoin there's okay there's other cryptos that try to do different things mm -hmm. and provide different value but mm -hmm. that was like the original Bitcoin. That's that's the goal. Okay. And so with all of these new spin-off Bitcoin things, cryptocurrencies I should say, Dogecoin that Elon Musk kind of really shouts out a lot. What else is out there? Shiba Inu or whatever. All of these random cryptocurrencies, do they work off the same blockchain technology that Bitcoin works off of? Like do you mine in the same capacity? Yeah, so that's a great question. So some of them, um, like Dogecoin, is just a straight clone of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. except they made it super inflationary. So I think like 100 million new Dogecoins get made through mining every day. And so there's another type of currency instead of proof of work, um, which is proof of stake. And to answer your question, I kind of want to dive back into proof of work because we didn't fully describe mining. Okay, yeah. Um, so you have the chain of blocks, okay. right? Um, but but if anyone could just claim, like you could make, you could include an invalid transaction mm -hmm. in there and say like, oh, like I gave myself a million Bitcoin okay. or something, right? So there needs to be a way to secure the network. And so what they did is proof of work where um, there's the, the hash of the last block, there's all the transactions, and then there's the nonce. Right. And so what you have to do is you have to keep changing the nonce until a certain amount, until the hash has a certain amount of leading zeros. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just to make it computationally difficult. The hash could start with like anything. Right. Um, and so they make it so that way you have to essentially get lucky when you're mining to get one transaction that starts with that many zeros. And then you broadcast it. People look at what you included for transactions, see that it's valid and then they accept it, and then they start trying to mine the next block. Okay. Um, so if there was a malicious actor, 
first off, it's unlikely that they would even be able to get something that has enough leading zeros because a lot of people are mining and almost all of them are good actors. What is, how can you be a malicious actor? Like, are you trying to disrupt somebody else's code or disrupt somebody else's mining, I should say? Or what is a malicious actor as opposed to a good actor? Yeah, so um, say for example, I was trying to include a bad transaction that okay. gave myself like a million bitcoins, oh, okay, I see. right? So even if I was lucky enough to get all those leading zeros, people would look at it and say, no, that's not a valid one. And they wouldn't start mining, assuming your block is good, they would still keep mining that old one. Say you started mining a chain, a block, yeah, block a chain. A chain. Okay. So say you're mining a chain, and I see that you're mining a chain, can I mine on your chain? Or do I have to make my own chain to mine on? Okay, so everyone mines on the same chain. Oh. So everyone has the same history, and oh. then everyone's so fighting like to add one all block. working together to find one more Bitcoin. Or one more block. Yeah. And when you create a block, mm -hmm. you get a reward in Bitcoin. It's oh. really unlikely because of the number of miners that you individually will, will be able find to... find your own. Yeah, so what people do is they join pools where they share their hash power, they pull it together. Hash and then, power, what's that? Yeah, um, so every time you do a hash, your hash power is like how many hashes you can do like in a second. And that's so how many you based can check. on your computer power? Like, what is that? Yeah, so like a really good GPU would have okay. higher or more GPUs. So like when you hear people having warehouses of computers mining, they're all mining on the same chain and they're probably a part of a pool. Um, so if you have a warehouse, you might not have to be, okay. um, but yeah, otherwise people join pools and then when any person in the pool gets the reward, it gets split um, okay. based on your, like how much hash power you're contributing. So my knowledge of coding is very, very small. I know how to inspect elements on the computer. Where do you go to even do the mining? Where, like, is it on a specific platform? Are you paying money to be a part of that platform? Like, how do you become part of a pool? How do you work on the platform? How do you work on the chain? Yeah, so when they um, kind of like released Bitcoin, so mm -hmm. to speak, um, they also released the mining software. Mm -hmm. So anyone could down it, download it and start running it. Mm -hmm. um, the pools are separate. They just kind of came after. And they do take like a cut, obviously, because they want some incentive. Right to be running it. Um, but yeah, otherwise, normally you can just download it and run it. Um, there's a lot more like advanced instructions if you're not running on a regular computer, if you have like specialized hardware. But yeah, to get started, anyone could. So I could download it, I'm not gonna do it, but I could download it on my work computer and run it <laughs> on my work computer? Uh, you could. I mean, without specialized hardware, you're probably not going to be... Doing anything. Yeah, but... It's going to take me one be... year to get one revolution of anything done, like solving one of Pro those complex problems. Probably not even. Not even? Not even, oh. yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. Impressive. So, with the people that are running this on their computers and they have warehouses and stuff... Have you heard about the effects that it has on like the environment and how environmentalists are pro cryptocurrency because of the effects that it has? Yeah, it is quite resource intensive. I know, I forget which country it is, but 
it's a fairly sized one. I think it's like Greenland. Mm -hmm. Like Bitcoin uses more power than like all of Greenland does. Wow. Um, I'm not sure the exact country, but it was one <laughs> that you know. It's right. not not like a, some tiny random one. Uzbekistan or something. Yeah. Right. Um, so it is very resource intensive, and that's why um, people would kind of recognize this. And there's the alternative we were talking about earlier, which is uh, proof of stake. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you're securing the network by um, like betting your money on it. So you stake however many. Um, so the main proof of stake one out there is Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And so you stake however many Ethereum you want, and you get a small uh, percentage back for staking. And essentially, as people propose these transactions, um, you essentially are saying, like, I'm saying with this amount of money that that's a good transaction. There's, it's not malicious. Okay. Uh, and so essentially, instead of having to have more hashing power than other people, you'd have to own more of the network. And if you own enough of the network that you can get an attack through, like you're already... So essentially, like, Ethereum's like the platform, and then Bitcoin is like what's mined through the platform. Like, how, does Ethereum back Bitcoin, or does Bitcoin back Ethereum? Like, are they codependent at all? No, they're just entirely, entirely separate, separate cryptocurrencies, yeah. Oh, so Ethereum's a, a currency. Uh, it's a cryptocurrency, I'll say. Uh, its main function isn't to serve as a currency. Right. Um, it's actually kind of a little bit more progressive in that uh, what it tries to do is allows the execution of something called smart contracts, uh, which let you execute code. Bitcoin only lets you execute like transactions sending money, whereas Ethereum lets you execute code. So one of the things, for example, uh, you could do is you could say, like, send this amount of Ethereum after so long or in however many blocks. And so you would send it, you wouldn't have access to it anymore, and then it would get kind of automatically sent after however many blocks had gone by. It's just kind of like a simple use case. Um, okay. There's a lot more. Uh, so for example, one you could use is you could do like betting. There are some people who try to provide oracles, which are like sources of truth, and they kind of inform the chain about real world events. This literally sounds like you're playing Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> or something. There are so many rules and so many made up words. There, there's no rules. It's just <laughs> people no. keep building. Okay. They keep building. They're building. They're yeah. building. Okay. So, like, one of the things people make are oracles. So that way you can have information about the real world on the chain. So, say, for example, you can say, um, you can make a bet that says, like, if the oracle provides information about uh, the NBA finals, you could, you could make a contract that says, if whoever wins, send this money to the other person. Otherwise, send it the other way. Right. Okay. So that's kind of the number two cryptocurrency, Bitcoin and then Ethereum. Like those are the top two cryptocurrencies that people are typically invested in. Going back and circling back on Dogecoin and the inflation that you were talking about in it. So if that's inflated and it's seeing a significant spike when you're first mining it, right? That was similar to what was happening with Bitcoin, right? Like there was a huge exponential when they first started mining. And then obviously like there was an exponential decay as it becomes increasingly difficult to mine. Why wouldn't you just invest now or mine now and then let it fall off like Bitcoin did? Like, is it not that so, simple? 
Uh, I mean, you could. Because I mean, you definitely if it's could. just like the mirror image, but inflated, it's going to do the same thing. It's going to have the same volatility. It's going to follow all the same things. Not really. What? <laughs> so uh, Dogecoin was made not that lo much longer after Bitcoin. Okay. And I'm not entirely sure this all the details, but I do not believe it has the same fixed emission curve. I think okay. it is just unlimited mining and releasing of new, new doge coins. Yeah. Um, the thing Who is... Who controls it? You just release coins? Well, so in the program, right, that you get a certain amount for mining a block. Right. Right. And if you try to give yourself more than is specified, mm -hmm. people would say that's a bad transaction. Okay. Right. You can't do that. To your point about how you buy now and then it'll follow the same like price trajectory as Bitcoin did. All of cryptocurrency as a whole is kind of viewed in one class and mm -hmm. the prices are highly correlated between them. Okay. Um, so there are some new projects that try to do something innovative and they can rise up um, and kind of break the trends. But even they, uh, whenever like Bitcoin crashes, Normally, Ethereum also crashes, all of the other coins, all the altcoins crash, mm -hmm. um, and they crash like the same amount because the market as a whole so takes a hit. So is there then such a thing as diversifying your cryptocurrency portfolio? Because if they're all kind of codependent on each other, if one crashes, they all crash. It's not like if one's performing well, then the other one might not be like, they're very much so related. Yeah, in the short term, yeah. definitely. Uh, in the long term, uh, you can definitely make different bets and say, uh, like, I think Bitcoin will do better than Ethereum, or mm -hmm. I think Ethereum will do better, or um, there's coins for uh, different applications. Uh, so there's kind of a layer two. But how can you even oh. say, I think that this is going to perform, like, I think that Bitcoin is going to perform better than Ethereum? Because there's nothing backing it besides for people wanting it, Right. Yeah, so you're betting so, on exactly. an increase in demand. So why would there ever be a demand? You know what I mean? Like, especially if Dogecoin is so similarly related to Bitcoin, why would there be a demand besides for Elon Musk tweeting, Dogecoin's the best, everyone go invest? Yeah, I personally don't think there should be any demand for Dogecoin, besides the fact that it's hyped up on TikTok. And what those coins play off of is there's like hundreds of billions of Dogecoin. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realize what a market cap is. Mm -hmm. And so you saw people saying like, oh, if Dogecoin hits $1, then like, I'll be rich because it's currently at... Like, uh, yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, that's even more for Shiba Inu because <laughs> um, there's hundreds of uh, trillion Shiba. And so people are saying like, oh, like if it hits 10 cents like Dogecoin did, then I'll be rich. But they don't realize there's a thousand times more Shiba in existence then than it'll Dogecoin. Take a lot longer, right? Well, it won't take a lot longer. It just won't happen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it'll it never just reach. Never happen. Never so reach a dollar. For Elon sure. Musk is pandering to people that he knows it's never going to hit anything, but he's spiking it up as much as he can. So, why don't all famous people just invest in some penny stock of a cryptocurrency and just boost it through the rankings and get their coin from it and get out. People do, but they're pump and dump schemes. Exactly. That's what they're called. And I know that- That's genius. Yep. I would do it if I had the following. One, you get, you get seen in a bad light after. And 
Um, so crypto isn't as well regulated by the SEC as like regular stocks, but there are still some regulations. And I know um, for like blatant pump and ups, I, they can go after some of the people. They can go after them. Like if it's like a blatant pump legally. Dump. Yeah. So with if you're doing that with a stock, incredibly illegal. Right. And then uh, as these new regulations are kind of coming in, um, you, yeah, you're not going to have a good time. Wow, that's kind of scary. So since it's decentralized, I kind of just disassociate it with like any rules and regulations at all. Are there actually any rules or regulations that are put on crypto? I mean, there's no organization to, but right. the SEC is still going to impose their will. Um, so a lot of impose like, their will. yeah, <laughs> a lot of U.S. companies back in like 2017 um, and like all the way th- kind of through like 2018, they were doing ICOs or initial coin offerings. And so essentially they were kind of, they were essentially representing like fractional ownership of like a group, mm-hmm. right? That's going to be doing work. Mm-hmm. And the SEC went after all of them because they're saying you can't represent like fractional ownership of something like that. You can only be um, like a currency. Okay. And now that we understand, I'm going to say we, and I'm going to say understand in quotations. <laughs> um, so now that we understand kind of a, a baseline premise of what mining is and what the difference between cryptocurrencies are, what do you use it for? Like what, if I were to obtain one Bitcoin, what do I do with that? Where do I spend that? Bitcoin, the only real way to spend it is so you can use it as a store of value or um, so whenever you do a transaction, you also pay a transaction fee. So the incentive for miners is one, they get however many Bitcoin are scheduled to be um, released with that block. And then you also get um, what people pay in mining, mining fees or gas fees to send the transaction. So you get both those. So Bitcoin is being spent to send transactions is one thing, but that's kind of it. Whereas if you look at something like Ethereum, it's also gas fees, but the network can do a lot more because of the smart contracts. So then what's the appeal? Like, it really doesn't seem like you can spend these things anywhere. I I get that. (laughs) (laughs) I do get that. Well, I mean, some companies do accept it for, like, you can get regular goods. I don't know now. I know a lot of retailers were. Like, Alibaba was accepting it for a while. Um... I don't know after the market kind of took a beating if they still wanted to do that. Mm. Um, so some some companies do, but it's not really the main use case because especially like Bitcoin gas fees were really expensive when the tr- when the network was getting used a lot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to buy a coffee if you're going to be paying for more than a coffee and gas fees. Right. Um, so it's not really meant for tons of use, although there are proposals to kind of reduce gas fees by making the blocks bigger or... Mm-hmm. Um, other other stuff like that, so you can fit more transactions in. The way I kind of view Ethereum, so there's something called Web2, which is our current internet, um, where authentication is like heavily dependent on just like your email, everything's tied to your email, and then like a username and password. Um, whereas Web3 kind of could be shifting towards your authentication being from like your wallet. And once you obtain the currency, you put it in your wallet? So you don't exactly <laughs> put it in your wallet? 
Um, what a lot of people don't realize is uh, Bitcoin's like a public ledger, or essentially the account number that has the Bitcoin in it is really just the, um, a representation of uh, a public key. With asymmetric encryption, you're able to make a public key and a private key. And when you sign something from one, you can verify that it was signed from the if you have the other. Is that like when you sign in on your computer? Like if I was on a Mac and it's like, oh, I don't recognize this device login or something. And then Apple pings you on your phone. Is it like similar to that? No. <laughs> no. So, That's just called dual factor, actually. Never yeah, mind. With asymmetric encryption, right? I can type up a message and sign it with my private key, mm -hmm. and then it'll be a bunch of mumbo jumbo. But if you decrypt it with the public key, you, you can see what it said, and you know that the only way that by decrypting it with the public key, you could see it, is if the person with the private key signed it. So whenever you issue a transaction, for example, all that you're doing is you're saying, I wanna send five Bitcoin to this person, mm -hmm. and then you sign it with your private key. And then that person can receive it by using their public key, or you have to use their pub your public key? No. So what happens oh. is the people who are verifying the transactions, oh. they compare your public key, and then they decrypt whatever message it was, and then they see that it's the proper transaction. With these keys, is that actually just code? So the key is, it's like a, it's like a value that you can write down. Okay. And then once they verify that you, like your key is correct, then what happens? So essentially someone else has to approve of both keys working. Like if your private key works and your public key works, because it means that you signed your private key, right? Signed with the private key, yeah. Yes. So someone approves that, then the transaction occurs? It can be included in a block, yeah. Okay. So then once the transaction occurs, then what happens? It's literally just a public ledger. So there is no, like your wallet is just a way to save a private key, right? Okay, so, so you're going to have to define what wallet is. Okay, so <laughs> a wallet is the commonly used term for how people store their crypto. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's literally just having, normally it's like an application, mm -hmm. and it, the application has your private key saved, mm -hmm. and then it also just has some basic functionality to be able to send um, crypto. It'll make the transaction for you. Okay. So it's actually just more code. Like your wallet is not anything. It's just more code. Yeah. Well, yeah. your private key <laughs> is a, it's a physical thing. Your private key is a physical thing? Or like I'm typing it in? String. Yeah, you can. So people, for example, have paper wallets mm -hmm. where they generate the public and the private key mm -hmm. and then they, they write down their um, they write down all, all of their private key. So that way they have it in storage. It's literally paper. Um, you've probably heard, or you might've heard of something called a hardware wallet. Okay. Um, and so what that is, is it's a device that you can plug into your computer and it's more secure because um, it's a very secure computing environment. And the only thing that goes between your computer and the device is the message that wants to be signed. So it sends it to the device, um, and then you're able to see what the message is, um, or the transaction is, on your device, sign it, and then it sends the sign thing back. And so your private key never is actually on your computer, mm -hmm. which is vulnerable. 
So um, my computer is vulnerable. It's a lot more vulnerable than uh, a hardware wallet, which is designed... And the hardware the wallet is the ledger? Yeah. Okay. And so where do those even get manufactured? Like, how, does, how did that exist? Did that exist prior to crypto? No, not at all. So what the heck? So is it like a pager in the sense that you plug it in and you can see the message on your ledger? Yeah, essentially. That's so cool. Yeah. People wanted a secure way to save their private keys because if your computer gets hacked, uh, if someone has just any sort of, if they're able to get access to your computer or get a virus on it, they could just take your private key and then they can sign the transactions and send all the crypto to so I've actually heard some horror stories about people forgetting their password to like their Bitcoin wallet and there's like no forgot password button. <laughs> so like what happens with those coins? They're just gone. They're gone. Well, so one of the things, one of the basic security measures, if you are saving it on a computer is it'll have, it'll be encrypted with a passcode. Mm-hmm. So even if someone's able to find the file, they would still have to decrypt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which takes more effort. Um, more effort but, than mining in the first place? No. Okay. No. But it, it's more effort than if it was just in a plain text file. Okay. Uh, so it's a basic security measure, but there's no, yeah, there's no forgot my password because there's no one else that has it saved or can change that for you. So it's just gone. So in the public ledger, it'll still say this account has this much but you're never able to sign a transaction saying to spend it. So people can keep transferring money into your account and you can just never access it? In theory, and I don't know why they Holy, would. <laughs> that's the scariest thing ever. Wow, I think that might be like the most debilitating thing because that money's just sitting in there. You can't do anything with it. You can't have anyone help you. Like there's no Bitcoin customer service. Yeah, I mean, there's horror stories of... Um, people who either forgot um with a lot of passwords they're not that good especially the ones that people set um so you could probably brute force it and unencrypt the wallet um but there's a lot of people who were like oh i mined bitcoin in like the really early days and then i threw out my computer because it was still worthless and i didn't know i think there's one guy that has like a billion dollars in Bitcoin, and he's like in the junkyard every day, like trying to find his computer. Oh to my see god! If he can it. But, that is horrifying. Yeah. So, what is the point? If you're not going to use it, then what was the point of like mining it? Well, he mined it because he was like, "Oh, this is cool," and then he forgot about it, and then, like, I think like almost ten years later, he was like looking, and it's like Bitcoin hit ten thousand. I had. I had a million of those, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah. I think a lot of people with Dogecoin, too, because that was, like, really something you just mined for fun. Mm -hmm. And then somehow it got pumped to... Somehow. Elon Musk. Yeah, Elon Musk. I don't... I still don't understand why, but... I think it's because it's just funny, because it's Dogecoin. Like, what's a Doge besides for a meme? But I guess he is the meme... The meme king. Essentially, a lot of stuff could be more built around Web3 uh, because of the decentralized computing power. Uh, There's a lot of pretty cool things you can do with it. Um, And so it's kind of like if you see it as the future, it's almost like you're able to actually like invest in the Internet. Anytime someone 
uses the internet, they have to pay you a like a fee, kind yeah. of. And that's kind of gas fees being used on Ethereum. Interesting. Okay. And then the only other application that I have heard of people using cryptocurrency for is NFTs. And like the only NFTs I've seen are those stupid ape things. And I don't understand it. I don't understand, A, if Bitcoins are worth so much intrinsically, then why would you spend it on an ape? That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So NFTs, you you don't spend Bitcoin. You'd have to spend Ethereum or they are on some other um, chains as well. So an NFT is a use case of the smart contract, Mm -hmm. right? So you're able to program a smart contract and you're able to make an NFT or a non-fungible token. Um, And so fungibility is uh, one thing being able to be used exactly like another. Uh, For the most part, like a $20 bill is fungible because you can just, like, it doesn't really matter which one you have. Right. Um, Right. And I, I understand nfts and i'm actually proud of myself for understanding nfts i completely get nfts i am all for nfts so i listened to a podcast with mila kunis and ashton kutcher who for whatever reason very knowledgeable about cryptocurrency and nfts and they said it best they said that thomas edison's first letter about whatever to whoever is framed in a museum somewhere, and only that copy is framed in the museum. You Sure, you can take a picture of it, you can have like a scanned document of it, but you're not gonna have the real one, and the real one is priceless, and it's in a museum. Whereas Steve Jobs' first email about Apple isn't. And you can take a screenshot of it, yeah, sure, but you're not gonna have that email. Like, I understand that. That makes so much sense to me. I understand NFTs because of that. But I don't understand, like, okay, why do we need to buy it with crypto? I can just hand money for it. I don't want to. That's the part that I don't get. Yeah, so some people have tried to attribute the same physical, like, only one value. Like, I know um, there's, there was another person or group that bought a Banksy, and then they burned it or shredded it, um, they destroyed it and then made an NFT and said like, this is like the Banksy now. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, it's an extreme thing to do, but they were saying like, now this is oh. this is the one. I think right now NFTs are mostly being used for getting access to communities. Um, so people see um, the apes as you call them, so Board Ape Yacht Club, and they wanna join the community. They wanna be able to put it on their Twitter and have the verified Twitter icon. People know they're a board ape. And then you can join, um, you get certain member benefits for being part of different NFT groups. So um, the board ape yacht club, which is by far the biggest one, why you see them all the time. Um, they have member benefits, like they have something called Ape Fest every year. Um, I think the year before it was actually like on a yacht in New York City. So like if you had an NFT, you could use so it as like your ticket like kind of. High member societies. Yeah, and people want to be a part of that. Okay, well that makes so much more sense to me than just having a stupid fucking ape as your profile picture on Twitter. Yeah, I mean people would argue once a year, is it like worth it? But yeah, 
<laughs> okay. I, have you, Fair enough. Having any sort of connection to the high status people like that that can afford those types of things. I think a lot of them actually are probably people who were involved in very early days crypto because the price has gone up so much that to them, if they, they want to throw 40 Ethereum away or 100 Ethereum away on a 40, like that might be like 100 out of 10,000 that they have. It's not as big a deal. Yeah. Compared to like a hundred thousand dollars, you think is a lot of money because like, it I is. Know it yeah, <laughs> but they're they're kind of rich, and that was kind of their whole vibe. Like they're bored apes, like people who like have been in. They're rich, and they're just kind of throwing money away. Um, I think there's a lot more promising NFT applications. So pictures are by far the easiest, mm -hmm. um, but one really interesting one is like. Uh, tickets, for example. So concert tickets or sports tickets. Okay. Um, you can always get scammed, right? And get something that's like a fake ticket or um, someone using your ticket ahead of time. Whereas if you have proof that you have this ticket and it's the only ticket, like you're not able to be scammed, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that could be like a really great application we see coming in. Um, I think the World Cup might be using it. Um, they were partnering with um, an NFT ticket um, group. And That's so, cool. yeah, so like there are like some really good use cases that can't be done um, regularly. Um, so there are some exciting applications like that. Yeah. I, well, I've never even heard of that. I didn't know that that was even a thing. I thought it was literally like the stupid apes and that was it. Like, okay, well, what else? Yeah, I, I mean, there's different applications. They're going to have to find their way through and kind of where their best market fit is. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, there's definitely more use cases than just having a picture. <laughs> so with NFTs, can they exist without crypto or do you have to have crypto for them to exist? Or do they just run off the same technology? Like, how um, does that? Yes. Like the ticket thing, for instance, how does that really work? Yeah, so NFTs are implemented um, as a smart contract on Ethereum. Okay. Um, so they can be done in other chains, um, and you could achieve a similar... Uh, no, you can... Not really. Yeah, so it's pretty... Like, you have to have a smart contract. And so there's other chains with smart contracts as well. You could do them on there. Um, and, I mean, there are um, NFT-like... Um, stuff on other chains. So if you're not mining, you're investing and you're investing in whatever crypto, you can diversify if you want, or you can invest in whatever else everyone else is investing in. The market is crashing for crypto. What does that mean for current shareholders? Is that what you want to call it? Coin holders? I don't know. And what does that mean for the future of crypto? Um, so a lot of people don't realize that crypto is kind of on like a four-year cycle. Okay. Um, so it rises and then it falls um, like every four years <laughs> since it's been made. And I think kind of that is because um, what happens is there's like a lot of stuff that gets built. And so um, in the last four-year period, it was... Oracles were like the big thing. People were like, oh man, like we're going to be able to have smart contracts with Oracles telling us like, real world information. Like 
this will be the game changer, and it gets super hyped up. You hear about it in the news, people start buying, and then the hype kind of dies down. And the thing is, because there are less regulations with crypto, um, especially in other countries, in the U.S., um, they don't allow people or companies to offer these services to U.S. citizens. But um, if you live in other countries, you can use like insane amounts of leverage, um, and essentially, um, you can buy like way more crypto than you really should. And what happens is once these sell orders start happening and the market starts going down, all these people are getting liquidated, mm -hmm. which causes more and more sells. And so you see these huge declines. Where do you even buy a share of Bitcoin? So for a lot of the main cryptocurrencies, Coinbase is kind of the, the, hub. the hub for feeling like really secure in how you're doing it. You can go straight from like bank account just to buying crypto. Binance is another really big one, especially they're worldwide and then they also have Binance US. So since crypto is decentralized, do you think that it would be ever a possibility to be able to buy it through my current brokerage account? Or do you think because it's decentralized, it'll never be correlated with our, my current currency? They don't want to be associated with banks at all. So they don't associate with if I'm investing with Fidelity. I can't invest through Fidelity because they don't want to intermingle with the banks. Well, there's you know no one who doesn't want to intermingle. The protocol will go on without anyone. So it's decentralized. It's not reliant. Mm -hmm. There's no... I'm, okay. So there are some people who help build it mm -hmm. and they have a voice. But uh, like right now, for example, you can already get um, Bitcoin and Ethereum ETFs, which aren't actual crypto, um, but you can uh, essentially invest in they try to replicate like what the crypto does. They have like, I think they're like 50% funded by, or not funded by, but um, their portfolio is like 50% of like the coin. Um, so you can already invest in it. And I think banks will be offering a lot more crypto services in the future. Um, because if there's money to be made, the banks will do it. All right, so the rise and fall of crypto and then the rise and fall of crypto, and then the rise and fall of crypto every four years. And we now have an understanding of what NFTs are and board apes and what mining is and blockchain is. And I feel like, I feel good about it. I feel, I wouldn't invest right now, honestly, just cause I still don't know enough about it. And there's so many words that I still am like, okay, Oracle, <laughs> sure, right. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like I know a lot more about it than when I walked into this room. And do you have any other suggestions about where people should look to learn more information or what like reliable sources you found are? A lot of the best sources will be on the websites from the foundations who are helping to develop whatever protocol it is. Um, so like the Ethereum Foundation um, has a ton of great resources. Bitcoin, there's tons of great stuff because it's the main one. And then for anything smaller, just look at whoever's developing it, they'll Reddit? <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of Reddits. But. Yeah, I would imagine not. But yeah, well, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time and your vast knowledge of crypto. Even though I thought you might, I guess you didn't, but was that exciting? Did you have fun? Yeah.